Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we're talking to the person we refer to as our outerwear guru, Blister's outerwear editor, Sam Shaheen. Sam has a very interesting background. I mean, how many 15-year-olds do you know who started their own outerwear company while they were still in high school? Sam did, so I wanted to have him on to talk about that and the particular challenges of not just starting any business, but especially an outerwear company. We also talk about how Sam got involved with Blister and why, which is a pretty great story, And we then wrap up with a report from Sam on the most important new technologies and trends in outerwear and apparel that are on his radar. We lean on Sam pretty hard to keep us up to speed on what's new out there and what products we ought to be reviewing and why. And so today, you're going to get a glimpse into what some of the conversations around here tend to look like. Before we get to that, I did want to remind you that you can now find the Blister podcast on Stitcher. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and or Google Play. So do that, and you'll get immediate access to every new podcast episode we drop right when we release it. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, it would mean a lot to us if you'd take a second to leave us a good rating and review in iTunes. We really enjoy doing these, but they take a surprising amount of time to produce. So positive ratings and reviews will warm our cold little hearts. Thank you. And now, let's get to my conversation with our extremely smart and equally interesting outerwear guru, Sam Shaheen. Hey man, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Been a busy day, but uh, but yeah, doing great, like always. Good. You were were climbing this morning? Yeah, yeah. I took a a friend out to Eldo. We did a few few quick routes this morning. So yeah, it was beautiful. Nice. Um... Well, dude, with you, like, you've got such an interesting backstory, I think. Um, So I kind of want to just start at the beginning. Um, Where did you grow up, and when did you first get interested in this ski stuff, mountain stuff, other outdoor stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I grew up here in the Denver area um, and sort of got into skiing, at least specifically at a really young age. I think my parents... uh, took me out when I was four, and uh, it was one of those things where I was in ski school, and I was better than all the other kids, so I really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Humble, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for a (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old. Least least humble four-year-old ever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Magic carpets aren't for me. I want want the big kid lift. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, so then started doing that, and... uh, I really liked it when I was a kid, and then it took probably till I was about 10 or 11 before I really started to ski a decent amount, and then, yeah, from the ages of about 13 until now, I've pretty much been skiing 50-plus day seasons and just been loving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mountains and other outdoor stuff sort of came after that when there's a little more freedom of college, and you can kind of go explore a little bit more on your own, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it all started with skiing, definitely. So from like age four to 13, like skiing was your primary activity? No, 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 no. After age 13, skiing was my primary activity. Four to 13, I like played soccer and hockey and whatever my parents signed me up for. (laughs) (laughs) Were you, 
were you the best hockey player on your team in the way that you were the best skier on the ski team when you were four? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always am still searching for this. Who among all of our like blister reviewers actually cares about things like, you know, basketball and football because I feel so isolated uh, given my sort of background. So these days, actually, I think I know the answer to this um, because I saw a recent... <laughs> I saw a recent post of yours from a baseball game where I think your caption on it was like touchdown or something like that. <laughs> so you, you you are another one, is that right, who was sort of doing the ski thing slash mountain sports, never really caught on to sort of some of the more mainstream sports. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll still watch a football game. I, I enjoy it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like to be in the mountains more than sit in front of the TV. Yeah, so. okay. Um, so, I mean, you said you were climbing this morning, so it was climbing slash mountaineering that, when did you get into that stuff? That was, that was college or post-college? Yeah, basically when I turned 18 and went to school, uh, we started to get real into trad climbing specifically. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, you know, naturally progresses into mountaineering, um, and then skiing still sort of stayed like pretty heavy resort skiing, and then that you know sort of, sort of morphed into more backcountry skiing, and then now it's pretty much all ski mountaineering and uh, climbing, climbing when I can in the summers when there's no snow. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get into like your undergrad and your grad school stuff, but specifically on the outerwear front, um, when did you start paying attention to that? Are we still? Is that, is that tethered to, well, I don't, I mean, we're going to get to the high school story, but when did you, when did you start really paying attention to that? Oh man. Well, it, let's see. I was in high school from 2004 to 2008 and anyone who remembers park skiing around 2004 to 2008 will know that if you weren't thinking about, uh, about, you know, the length of your tall tees and <laughs> coordinating your pants that were down to your knees you weren't doing it quite right so I would say yeah, I was probably about 15 or 16 when we really started like spending our afternoons at TJ Maxx looking for tall tees and going to the big and tall shops and all mm-hmm. that stuff I mean if you can call tall tee outerwear but but yeah <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little bit ridiculous saying it now but yeah that's uh that, that's what we were doing <laughs> but it was it, I mean the initial route was I mean you were a skier growing up and, and skiing around Summit County and you were skiing primarily like all park or sort no, of 50? 50- I actually grew up skiing more moguls than anything. Yeah. And then, uh, in high school I met up with a bunch of people, became friends with a bunch of park skiers. So yeah, from most of high school, we skied a lot of park. Uh, yeah. I was probably skiing 60, 70% park then. Um, but yeah, I definitely grew up skiing, skiing all mountain and moguls and a lot of moguls. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so high school, two thousand four to two thousand eight. You're 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 getting more into park skiing, and you've already spoken to the kind of aesthetic that goes along, uh, at least at that time, um, with park. And this, I mean, at some point, then you had the idea: why not start our own apparel brand? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, 
it was like I don't know if you remember back in the day there was it was 2006 the 2005-2006 season where um Oakley had this like really weird sort of digital camo thing it was like in a red and a green and it was just like just garish and awful and pretty much everyone was wearing it it was you know like one in ten people on the mountain were wearing this and I just remember talking to my buddy about like how awful it was and you know, one thing sort of led to the other, and uh, we were like, you know, we could we could totally do this. And uh, this was at pretty much the exact same time when Saga Outerwear started, which obviously has now sort of exploded. Um, and I remember my partner, Kevin, he sent an email to the owner of Saga at the time, and he was like, hey, you know, we're thinking of, like, me and my buddy, we're in high school, we're thinking about, you know, starting our own company. Uh do you have any tips for us? And this guy wrote back this letter that was basically like, you guys are idiots, like <laughs> super hard. You're going to, you're going to fail and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Don't do it. And it's so like, we got that email back probably about six months after he sent it. But by then we were like already full on committed. You know, we had, we had our <laughs> full send line and all stuff. And it was like, Oh, oh well, I guess we're going for it. <laughs> huh? Did he, did he elaborate? I mean, <clears throat> because as you know, as as we now know, and you know very well, it is really hard, right? Um, oh yeah, no, no. His his email was like a hundred percent spot on, and honestly, if we'd have gotten it before we started, we probably would have kept going anyway. Yeah, um, that's pretty much exactly what I would write in an email to someone who sent me the same thing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we were we were just kids. We were just going out there to. Well, so so I mean, one just to just to back up um, the kind of impetus for starting your own label was you thought, I mean, it wasn't so much on the tech side, the, the, the technical fabric side of things you get, you guys were after a certain look. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, and on top of that, like looking for this certain park aesthetic, you know, this late aughts park aesthetic that was just ridiculously huge clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, we also really wanted to have a company that was run by skiers for skiing because if you weren't wearing that Oakley suit, you were wearing Burton or Analog or 686 or something like that. I mean, even Wallachian is super unknown. That was like, what was that, 2007, 2008? He wore that Analog suit or that Burton uh, Ronin suit. And, I mean, we were skiers and we loved skiing. And at this time, Park was really dominated by snowboarding. And we really wanted to have something that we could be proud of and that the skiing community could be proud of. And we just happened to get sort of in on the cutting edge of the whole uh, independent outerwear company thing. So uh, yeah. that was that was a huge motivator yep. doing it for skiers. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I'm curious. You know, you said this this email that you got where it was like, "Dude, this is super hard." Talk a bit about that, right? Because I think you know, increasingly there are lots of lots of people probably grow up and having dream have dreams of starting their own labels and and that kind of thing like so now that you've kind of been through it you've seen it firsthand talk about some of the things that like what makes it so hard like why can't you just come up with a cool name and and come up with some cool designs and just like start your own clothing company well, first of all, I like the subtle jab at our cool name. <laughs> <laughs> I love the name. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we've talked about this a lot. Um, I, that's yeah, all I'm going to say about that. 
when you're 15 and you come up with a name, you get really cool names like Lethal Descent. So like, like Lethal <laughs> Descent, and I think yeah, that is. Uh, I think my comment was always that definitely is the name of a company, uh, you know, that was started by 15 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> so perfect. Um, so, but talk to talk about that a bit, like. Yeah. Some of those things. Um, what 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 is so hard? Well, the thing about it is business in general is hard and people have a tendency to not really understand the market and the mindset of their customers because you get so close to it. You're so just like in the weeds, nitty gritty, detail picking here and there that to like to zoom out and ask the question like is there actually demand for this product? What is my market like? How do I reach my market? Like just these fundamental questions that should be like the first thing on your business plan um, are really difficult to answer. And like we got super lucky. Uh, we started it when we were 16. We just happened to hit the exact right moment when everyone wanted exactly what we were making. Um, the first three years we sold out on pre-sales before we even got any gear in our hands just because there was a ton of demand. Skiers wanted clothing made by skiers that had the right fit and you couldn't get the fit from other ski companies and otherwise you're buying snowboard stuff. Yeah. And so a lot of it was dumb luck. And I'm not going to say a lot of a lot of businesses aren't dumb luck, but for us it was especially dumb luck. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um but and, and then and then of course on top of that just like the knowing the business side of things and all that, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of work that you don't expect, you know, like sales tax and filling out incorporation forms and K1s and all this just like ridiculous stuff and then fulfillment and printing out shipping labels and like spending a lot of time with your UPS driver who's actually a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just sort of piles on. There's a lot that you don't really think about. And outerwear specifically is really hard as well because it's not like skis or something like that where you have relatively short turnarounds you know if you're if you're going to make skis you're going to build a ski press and start pressing them yourself well you can't do that with technical outerwear yeah to make a full line of outerwear you have to start in like you know ah uh, like July August sort of thing with prototypes and then you have samples then you have second samples and you have sales samples and each one of those iterations takes months cuz they all go back to to the east where they get sewn and then you have the, your production order, which will take six months to fill. So if you want outerwear to come in in August, September, you have to start July, August of the prior year, which yeah. is especially in a fashion-based industry. Like you're trying to predict things that are going to happen <laughs> in a year, and your stuff comes in in August, but everyone doesn't wear the stuff till December. So it's like you, these year-and-a-half product cycles, which are just really tough and tricky to work around. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's getting into the weeds a bit there. <laughs> I think like – in so many of these businesses, and for some reason, I think outerwear, I also think breweries are like this for some reason, where it's just easy to be like, oh man, like come up with a cool name, come up with a cool label. And it's just very easy to romanticize, I think, um, you know, having your own your own brand or, or a brewery or something like that. And I think the thing to say is, is always like, you see from afar, like you see the tip of the iceberg and you definitely don't see the like 90% of the iceberg that's below the water, right? 
And um, yeah, well, and I know you're familiar with that with this whole blister thing. I mean, yeah. did you think you'd be doing 60, 70 hour weeks every week? <laughs> 70? Wow. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> that, that sounds like heaven. What's this 60 to 70 of which you speak? I mean, I think I'm, I, I'm, I am not down. I have not dropped down to the 60 to 70s yet. Um, and we're, what, six and a half years into this? So yeah, point point. I, well, I, I didn't drop into that range. Well, I was going to school full time for a lot of mine too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I I I hear you. Let's move this forward then. So you've got this, you've got this label um, that you launch. Are you Lethal Descent launches? You're a junior in high school. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We we got our first round of uh, round of samples when we were juniors, and then the first production round hit the. Well, like right before senior year. Yeah. So we were young, innocent, naive. <laughs> I like it. Um, and again, I guess we're doing the, the quick version of this story, but you proceed to have your senior year of high school and then, um, and then are off, uh, after that senior year that the, the, the following fall, you go right into undergrad. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to undergrad at CU for chemical and biological engineering. Yeah, chemical and biological engineering. Um, to go work for the defense department, or what? <laughs> what, what were you thinking here? Uh, you know, honestly, I thought I was gonna be like doing a whole bunch of cool stuff with biofuels and designing organisms to change the world. But really, it's oil and gas. What you mm-hmm. all, what, what all, all the chemies go into. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is cool. I didn't go in, into oil and gas. I ended up working in semiconductors after school. But yeah, that was that was sort of the idea. Was and then f- let's see for those. I'm going to assume nothing interesting happened for the four years of undergrad. Is that is that fair? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but you're still you're still running lethal to sense at that point, and 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 um, I don't know. You're going to school. And you're trying to run a clothing brand. Yeah, it was rough. You know, uh, school, I probably had 50 to 60 hours a week of work. And then Lethal Descent was another full-time job on top of that. And then at the same time, I was also, you know, skiing 100 days a year because yep. priorities. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, high, or college, undergrad, I should say, was a very stressful time for me. But, um it was also super rewarding, you know. I would always go up to the mountains and see people, especially seeing strangers with my, with the gear that we work so hard to design, and, um, you know, it, it's a lot of work, but it's really fulfilling. Like it was, it was, it was an excellent, an excellent time, definitely. And at some point in that time, you, <laughs> for better or for worse, you sent me an email. Um, <laughs> you know, cold email. Definitely for worse. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, one day, do you remember where you were? Oh yeah. I remember it vividly. I tell the story all the time, actually, because I think it's hilarious. So (laughs) this was right after we, we had just gone through all these, um, magazine reviews, uh, for this past year after we'd done this three layer piece and I was just so fed up with it. You know, just this whole thing of like, the editor coming to you and saying like, Hey, yeah, you know, if you guys buy a full page ad, we'll totally, uh, totally give you guys an editor's pick. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh my gosh, so frustrating. And then, you know, they come in and they say like, oh yeah, your gear is really cool. If you just buy like this tiny ad, then we'll put you in this spot of the magazine and then not coming through and doing all this stuff. And I was just so fed up. And so basically it's like the peak of my frustration. I stumbled across Blister in its infancy. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I sent you an email real fast. I was like, hey man, you guys are doing it right. I want to be a part of this because I'm fed up with what it's like. And I think I attached my resume. And then like I was in my ex-girlfriend's apartment and you called me on the phone at like midnight that <laughs> night and talked to me for two hours. And she's like trying to sleep. And this is like a like a whole bunch of people in this apartment. So I have to take this call in her room. And we're just, I've never met you before. And you're just talking to me like about how about, you know, like your vision and blah, blah, blah and about my stuff. And she was pissed. I was like, God, this is, it's two in the morning right now. <laughs> but yeah. Rest, the rest is history. I think for me that, especially back then, um, when literally at that point I was still pretty much working, my schedule was largely like go to bed at 5 a.m., get up at 9 a.m., seven days a week. And so like most of my calls happened, at, like started at like 11 or 12 at night. And so anyway, sorry about that. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that I mean, to just to make sure, like, because I, yeah, I mean, you started by saying you had been contacted by one of the magazines, and they just straight up said, like, if you buy this ad, you will get an editor's choice award. Not not only that, they basically said the only way to get an editor's choice award is if you buy this ad. Yeah. Yeah. So in case there's still naive people out there who sort of wonder why we do things like we do well it's exactly like we started blister exactly to combat that sort of bullshit um so and yeah and it, it only took me about five minutes less on your website to realize that this is this is something that's really important not only for skiing but for just outdoor sports in general and um now, now that it's kind of morphed into what it is, um, that's that's definitely true. I mean, this is something that the industry desperately needs, and uh, I'm I'm here to make it as good as possible. Yeah, well, and it's been fun, and I mean, we're <clears throat> you and I are currently working on some new initiatives that we haven't mentioned yet, but I'm super top, <laughs> super top secret. Yeah, but I'm I'm extremely excited about it, and uh, looking forward to when we're ready to roll some of this stuff out but um yeah so anyway um that's funny though i i completely forgot about me calling you at midnight and then keeping <laughs> you on the phone till 2 a.m but uh that sounds about right yeah no it was it was it was good warm-up for what was to come yeah <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me then um so you are finishing up your time at at uh at cu boulder it's cu boulder right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I went to UC, so I always have to hesitate on the CU, but, um, you're wrapping up at Boulder, you're doing some reviewing for Blister, you're, you know, whatever. Um, and then I'm trying to think, did you take a year off before, before heading to, to Switzerland? Uh, no, I took, uh, for two years, actually, I worked in a semiconductor company, so we made signal filters for cell phones very important stuff that's not all that interesting it was a great job actually I met a lot of cool people and gained a lot of really cool experience um 
but yeah, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me and I decided I needed a change. So yeah, after two years there, I, uh, packed up and went to grad school in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. And there you studied? Biomedical engineering for my master's. Yeah. Okay. But mostly I skied. <laughs> <laughs> you did do a lot of skiing, like a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, like if, if I'm talking to my parents, I'll tell them that I went to Switzerland for grad school, but I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, you, uh, <clears throat> I think you used your time, uh, you you wrung some time out of those mountains over there. Um, that's for there's sure. Still, there's still a lot more juice to squeeze out of those yeah. bad boys. Those things are pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you, I mean, we're going pretty quickly here, but you spent how long were you in Switzerland? I was in Switzerland for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, in Bern, Switzerland. So right there in the Berner Oberland, which is, you know, like I looked out my my uh my balcony and i could see the monk eiger jungfrau um you know some of the biggest mountains in switzerland and then you know 20 minute train ride away is just amazing ski touring with tons of tons of variety and then you know an hour train ride away is the best ski mountaineering in the entire world yeah um so yeah it was it was to although i hate the word in general when when referring to mountains it is the absolute quintessential alpine playground so it's pretty amazing yeah well pretty good and um appreciate that overview of your background and and i mean those of you who have spent time reading our reviews know that we always i mean it kind of started as a joke but it's kind of true i mean we call sam our outerwear guru and now hopefully you have a little more perspective um the dude has done his time um in terms of studying materials and the like um in addition to having actually literally run his own uh his own outerwear company and had to worry about things like fit and uh you know all of the related issues um so we we really like leaning on sam for his perspective when it when it comes to uh talking about outerwear and and how we're thinking about it and the biggest thing for me is I'm just constantly asking Sam, like, what are you seeing? You know, what's on your radar? And so those, that's exactly what I kind of want to spend the rest of our time here talking about with him. Um, you know, like basically what is the state of sort of technical outerwear? Um, what are the kind of trends? What are the new technologies that, ought, that we ought to be aware of? That, that sort of thing, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and real quick, I wanted to add, cause I feel like we left it off where it seems like lethal descent was all just crazy baggy mm. arc outerwear, yeah. but there was definitely a pretty heavy transition towards more technical stuff at the end there, mm -hmm. um, before I sold my share and left and went to Switzerland. So definitely got a lot into the weeds with the more technical side of things before I left. And at the same time, a lot of my schooling in chemical engineering and material science, um, really helped helped make that possible as well so um yeah the idea of doing my time i think that, that that's definitely clear but uh but yeah there 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 was a lot of technical stuff outside of the whole blister thing yeah um but yeah to, to get in get into kind of what's going on in outerwear and i would sort of expand outerwear to just technical soft goods in general because that's sort of where i've where i've ended up yeah um there's 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 definitely a few really important trends that i that i, I want to talk about and i think 
first one is sort of trend in the make or like trend mid stroke, you know, it's, it's sort of been around a little bit and that's this idea of breathable insulation. Um, you know, Patagonia's had these, this nano airline for a few seasons now and other companies are starting to sort of catch up. You know, we just published that review of the, uh, polar tech alpha direct piece from OR that ascendant jacket, which is, um, sort of, sort of directly competing with that nano air. And now next season, it looks like our, our North face rather is coming out with a, with a breathable insulation technology called Ventrix. I know Flylo has one, Arcteryx has one coming out. Um, you know, everyone is sort of getting on this, getting on this wave. And that's a really important one. Uh, I mean, for several reasons, but mostly because if your insulation doesn't breathe, it doesn't really do all that much for you. Um, it's great when you're belaying someone or at the top of a mountain eating lunch, but it doesn't really do a whole lot else. So Breathable insulation is something the industry has needed for a long, long time, and I'm really excited to see that coming up. Yeah. Are you able to say yet, like, how big of a leap is this going to be, right? We've had insulation. We can now call kind of this new wave of stuff breathable insulation, but is it, I mean, should we expect, expect a pretty kind of seismic leap here? Um, you know, like, is this stuff just, you mean? yeah, in terms of the breathability? No, no, I don't think we should expect a seismic leap. I mean, most of these breathable insulation pieces are going to breathe at levels of like a light fleece, you know, that you might have in the eighties or nineties. Yeah. There's only so much breathability you can get out of something that has thickness because water has to get out. Yeah. Um, you know, you, there's only so much breathability you can get out of a t-shirt. So I don't think we're going to see huge steps in breathability necessarily, but if you compare it to like a puffy down jacket, which essentially doesn't breathe at all, you're going to get, you're going to see a huge gap there. Yep. What's really cool because yeah, we do have fleeces that breathe a bit and we have all these other things, but what's really cool is that these pieces are super light and they're super packable and they're super high performance. So they have these, you know, face fabrics that are pretty hard with the DWR so they can shed a little bit of rain, shed some wind and also breathe while also insulating. And that's something that your, that your dad's fleece can't do, you know? Yep. So in a way we should, it's like, we call them, we call it breathable insulation as a category, but we kind of need to call it like pretty breathable slash kind of water resistant slash quite packable insulation. (laughs) Is that, is that, I'll come up with the acronym for that. All right, yeah, yeah, workshop that one because I want to start using that in my reviews. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, but I think that helps, right? Because it's like, well, even if this isn't insanely, an insane leap in terms of breathability, you're getting all of these additional benefits in terms of packability plus water resistance, et cetera, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and compared to the puffy down jackets, which they're <laughs> replacing, it is an insane leap in breathability. Yep. It's just not going to get that much more insane, I don't think. Okay. Okay. Challenge challenge or gauntlet gauntlet thrown down by Sam <laughs> to the entire uh, apparel industry. Um, Please prove me wrong. Yeah. I would love it if it got better. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, the, the, the more that it breathes, the less it insulates, you know, because all that water is carrying heat. And as the water goes away, you lose heat. So there just, there just is a certain level that you can't, at least with with current current paradigms for for how breathability works, yeah, just 
can it insulate and uh, and breathe at that rate? So, okay, but we'll see. What else you got? What else you got on your radar? All right, my favorite one, and I'm really psyched about this. And if anyone anyone listening who read my review of the North Face L5 pant, now like that was probably a year and a half ago now. Yeah. Um, knows that I think this is the coolest technology ever. So basically. It's a fabric milling technology in hard shells and and in soft shells and breathable insulation pieces as well that allows you – so the companies are weaving multiple denier fabrics together. So you can have a heavier fabric next to a lighter fabric and they can weave it evenly so you have even distribution of heavy and light fabrics or they can weave it all light or all heavy and they can change the weave wherever they want. So basically what this means is that you can have uh, say a pair of pants like those L5s where you have reinforced knees, reinforced cuffs, and even on that L5 all of the tagging and what would normally be screen printing was done in the mill of the fabric. So you don't have any seams, you have no screen printing, you can seamlessly go from light fabric to heavy fabric which is pretty incredible. and uh north face is calling it fuse form uh mammut just come out with just is coming out with one that they're calling that in conjunction with the swiss manufacturer Scholler, which they're calling Scholler phase map hmm. um i know north face is coming out with something similar that we haven't had a chance to look at but we're really excited um and sort of the logical progression of this too is to be creating not only seamless fabrics whether it's you know a fleece that is nice and insulating in your chest and back and arms, but has, has, you know, thinner fleece under arms for, for, for venting without any seams, but also this idea of making completely seamless garments, which I, I think is, you know, definitely a few years out, but the technology exists at least in base layers now where, we, where you can have an entire shirt or an entire pair of pants without a single seam, yeah. um, which is huge on comfort and it's going to be really cheap once they get the technology right because you don't have to have anyone sewing anything. Hmm. Um, so that's that's definitely something to look out for. At least if if, if I look in my crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. Is there an element here we, that we should be excited about because we may be like minimizing the amount of um, the minimizing the amount of wasted materials that end up just kind of on the as scraps? Oh yeah, that's huge. You get a lot less material waste. You get, you know, you don't have to have seam tape, which has all these adhesives. You don't have to do all this, this sonic welding and all this stuff that requires tons of equipment and um, all this just ridiculous stuff. It it really has the. It's really just going to streamline, streamline manufacturing processes and create a better garment in the end, hmm. which is. I mean, what what more can you ask for? Exactly. The companies want to do it for for that reason. I mean, the technology needs needs to get there. I'm sure these mills are super expensive, and it's obviously more difficult to design a garment where you have to mill out each specific piece separately. I mean, usually when you do a fabric, you just mill out bolts of this stuff, and then you cut it wherever you want. But in something like this, you're going to have to mill, you know, specific blocks, and each block gets made into a garment in a specific way, and every everything has to get cut correctly and relation to where all the all the changes in the fabric are so that there 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 are some some issues to overcome but i think once it all gets smoothed out it's going to be pretty incredible hmm. what else you got one of the things that that i'm kind of excited about actually is sort of this idea of down puffy jackets you know these baffled synthetic 
base downfield jackets are on the way out. And uh, not only is that good environmentally, it's good for the breathability. These breathable insulators are, are, are coming up. We're also getting a lot of really cool synthetic puffy insulations that will end up taking the place of this down jacket. The down, no matter how much you treat the down, it always is going to wet out at some point. And as a critical insulator in the backcountry, I really like trusting my synthetics that I know even if it's raining out there, I'm still going to be able to, to, to hold in some heat. So I'm excited that in, that synthetic insulators are getting light enough and warm enough to where down is sort of going by the wayside. And um, Patagonia has a really cool piece coming out with that, that we'll talk about in a few months. And uh, a lot of other companies are coming out with cool new synthetic insulations too. So that's, that's one that I'm really excited about as well. How long do you think, again, crystal ball question, how long till you think like down is actually dead where we just aren't using it? I mean, it, is it going to continue to, to stick around? Do you think that some of these, that most outerwear companies will render it obsolete like quickly? Um, part of that obviously is going to have to do with, I guess, market considerations like if there's a strong demand still for down um there's going to be some companies that will probably be reluctant to kill it completely even if we're like dude synthetics have caught up um what's your guess well i think down has the advantage if we're if we're on team down that uh that it has tons of name recognition you know people who want a warm jacket want a down jacket People who want peak performance want a down jacket. People who want a fancy jacket, like a Canada Goose jacket or whatever, want a down jacket. Um, just like, just like everyone wanted a waterproof jacket for thirty years, and and this industry has had a really hard time marketing these air permeable fabrics. I think down is going to have a hard time leaving, and I don't think any outdoor company is going to be transitioning away from it completely soon. Mm-hmm. And if anyone does, it will be Patagonia for environmental reasons, but. Um, no one else has the balls to do it. And I, I don't think that they should necessarily for market reasons. Like, like I just said, I think if we're looking out in the distance and maybe 10, 15, 20 years, someone does it and you know, one person does it and that gets the ball rolling. Um, but we're just sort of seeing synthetics catching up. We still don't have anything, anything 850 fill power synthetics. So for the people who want the lightest, the best warmth to weight ratio, you're, yeah, you're going to be in down for a little while, but synthetics are catching up and there's no reason why they can't catch up completely and they will. It's just a matter of time. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. And, and by the way, when you are saying you're talking about environmental concerns, do you mean environmental or do you mean ethical and like the treatment of, okay. But yeah, ethical, ethical is, is, Ethical and environmental. Ethical is a huge part of it too, definitely. Um, but just the idea of farming animals, um, it puts a huge strain on the environment and then killing them and taking their feathers. Yep. Yeah. So let's just talk for a second in our, in our last few minutes here. Um, if there is an, if there, there might be an, an analog here in outerwear where you just, I think, articulated well, there's, there are people on team down and down has that recognition. What that sounds like to me is a conversation that we've had for years now on Blister where the recognition of Gore-Tex 
when people are looking for quote unquote waterproof stuff, waterproof jackets, waterproof pants, whatever, you have written some excellent articles talking about why sort of quote unquote waterproofness can be sort of overdone or overstated or too big of a concern for a lot of consumers. Can you say something about like, why have, I mean, you've been an advocate for this, but like soft shells in general, as opposed to hard shell, 100% waterproof pieces, soft shells are still trying to gain traction in the market with consumers. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Might there be an, an analog here with synthetic insulations and down? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, the, you know, I would say the main difference is that synthetic, the, the new synthetics are basically trying to replace down. They're taking the exact functionality that down offered, yeah. replicating it in a, in a different technology, basically. Okay. Where the hard versus soft shells, they're definitely do different things. You know, like there will always be a place for hard shells. Yeah. There'll always be a place for soft shells. Um, so in that sense, I think it's a bit different. The hard shell, soft shell thing is more about really analyzing what you do in the mountains and what sort of a technology is going to help you do that best. And most people, like I've said often, often don't need hard shells every day out in the mountains. But most people I see out in the mountains are wearing hard shells every day. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's more of an education and an introspective thing and just making people understand that yeah, if it's pouring rain and you're in the middle, if you're 20 miles away from the trailhead and you're gonna, and you have no way of getting out, like yeah, you should be definitely bringing a hard shell if you if staying dry is at all costs what's what's important. But soft shells, soft shells are gonna be better for 90% of the people 90% of the time. Yep. Uh, but yeah, and down in synthetics, it's just it's basically one for one. Once synthetics are there, there's really not a whole lot of reason for down as as long as as long as down is is uh is financial is you know economically viable for these companies then it's probably going to be around yeah yeah well man listen um interesting and um i'm glad we finally got you on the podcast this has been a long time a long time coming we finally got to tell the the sam shaheen story a bit and um we'll do it again for sure but um uh for now i know we both kind of need to get going and um i actually have a uh I actually have a follow-up appointment with uh, my surgeon, um, so I'm uh, I'm off to uh, do that. But fully expecting to get very good news on that front, and I know you've got a meeting too. So, um, but good to talk today, Sam. Um, we'll be doing it again, doing it doing it again soon, and um, we'll we'll uh, also um, we hinted at it, but be rolling out sometime, hopefully in the coming weeks this new initiative initiative that you and I have been um, working on for a while now. So that'll be uh, cool to get that out there too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for that. And this was a, this is a good talk. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Great. Take it easy. Bye. That's it for this edition of the blister podcast. Thanks to Sam Shaheen for the conversation and to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. Till next time, check out what we're up to at blisterreview.com. And again, please leave us some feedback on iTunes if you are enjoying these podcasts. Have fun out there, and we will talk to you next week.